For there, in Ephesians chapter number 4, and if you look down at verse number 3, the Bible says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Like I, like I mentioned already, we're starting a new series tonight, and the, na- the title of the series is Words That Will Change your life. And for the next several weeks before we you know, get into a book study and go verse by verse through a book, I wanted to spend a few weeks just doing word studies through the Bible and studying there are certain words in the Bible that come up a lot or the concept comes up a lot throughout the Bible. And it's, they give us biblical principles for the Christian life. We have to learn how to live the Christian life by learning these types of series. I'm doing something a little different uh, this year than maybe I've done in the past, or I don't know that I've done in the past, but uh, it, this there, we've got two series going. We've got a series on separation, which is kind of the negative Preach Against Sin series. That's on Sunday morning. This is going to be more of a positive, try to help your heart and help you grow in, in, in your Christian walk on Sunday nights. Usually you do that backwards. You do the positive one on Sunday morning and the, the negative one on Sunday night, but I, I'm not smart enough to figure that stuff out, so we just went with, you know, the bigger crowd it probably has more sinners in it, it's what I think. But uh, tonight, we're going to begin with this word, and we're going to study different words for the, over the next several weeks. But tonight, I want to begin with this idea of unity, the word unity. Notice verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice verse four, there is one body, that's unity, and one Spirit, that's unity. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, that's unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. See, the Bible teaches that you and I have to learn to live in unity as the body of Christ. And when we're talking about unity, we're talking about the church interacting with other believers here within our church. And the word unity means the state of being in one accord, the state of being in harmony, the state of being one. And you may ask, well, why do we have to have unity? And keep your place there in Ephesians because that's our text for this evening. But flip one uh, book over to the book of Philippians and go to Philippians chapter number one and look at verse number 27. When you look at Philippians 1, 27, you'll, you'll see that it's very similar to what we just read in Ephesians chapter four, but it teaches us the need for unity. Philippians chapter one and verse 27 very well-known verse. The Bible says this, only let your conversation. Now, we, we talked about that this morning. The word conversation in the Bible talks about your manner of life, the way you live your life, the way you, you act, and the, the, the testimony that you have. And he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And we ought to live our lives in a way where the gospel is preached not just through our lives, but that because of our lives, the opportunities to preach the gospel uh, come up and people ask us about the things of God. You know, at, work, at your job, people ought to know that you're the Christian. And they might make fun of you, or they might think you're silly, or they might be, but I'll tell you this, when their lives begin to fall apart, and their marriage begins to fall apart, and their children get sick, or, or when life happens, and the storms of life, they'll know who to go to, and they'll know who to reach out to, and they'll know who has, you know, if you're living your life in the right way, and he says, only let your conversation be, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now notice what he says, that ye stand fast. Okay, you see those words, stand fast? Notice the similarity of the book of Ephesians. In one spirit, in one mind. And I want you to notice these words. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, you may ask, well, why do we need unity? Why do we need to stand together? But the Bible tells us that we have to stand fast 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's what you got to understand. We've got to learn to stand together so that we can strive together. We've got to learn to walk in unity and live in unity so that we can then work in unity and strive together to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and strive together, like the Bible says here, for the faith of the gospel. And the reason I chose unity as the first word to kind of deal with is because, to be honest with you, I'm very concerned about the unity of Verity Baptist Church, and I'll explain to you why. The average church in America, if you look at statistics, the average church in America will average somewhere between 80 and 100 people. Most churches will be 20, 30 years old, and they'll average 80 and 100 people. And it's not, it's not all about numbers, and, I, and we understand that, but obviously every number represents a soul. Our church is five years old. We started in September of 2010. My wife and I started this church in our living room, and we had, you know, we averaged eight people that first, you know, that first year. I mean, we're averaging eight people, ten people. This morning, we had 127 people in church, and God has grown the church over the last several years. But here's what you got to understand. We basically hit and exceeded the mark of what you would call the average church. The average church on a Sunday morning will have somewhere between 80 and 100 people. We, we're somewhere between 100 and 130 people. Now, here's, you say, well, what's the concern? Here's the concern. Generally, churches that grow bigger, 150, 175, 200, and you say, well, is that, is that your goal to grow? My goal is to be faithful to the Word of God. My goal is to preach the Bible to, in a consistent way and to, to help you grow spiritually. But I do believe this, that as our, church, uh, as our church people are healthy and as the people grow spiritually, God will invest into our church and more people will come and more people will be helped. Our, our goal is not numbers, but here's what you got to understand. Most churches, what they end up doing when they grow, because here's what you got to understand, and I don't know what it is, I can just tell you right now, you, you get more than 100 people together and they're going to start to argue. They're going to start to fight. They're going to start to develop cliques. They're going to start to develop these little groups where they gossip about each other and fight with each other. Now, here's how most churches deal with it. They break up the church into small groups. Or they break up the church into Sunday school classes. Now, at Verity Baptist Church, we don't have Sunday school. And at Verity Baptist Church, we don't have small groups. We don't have small groups that meet together on a Wednesday night in people's houses. And you say, well, why don't you do that? I'll tell you exactly why I don't believe in small groups. Because I think it's a waste of time. A bunch of people who've never even read their Bible cover to cover once get together and they sit down and read a verse and then they go around and say, well, here's what I think it says. And here's what I think it means. It doesn't really matter what you think it means. It only matters what it says and what, the, what God meant for it to mean. And I just think it's a waste of time for people who don't know what they're talking about to sit around and try to, you know, and all these false doctors and all these things come out of it. I think in the Bible, the Bible taught that there's a man of God that meets certain qualifications and he stands up and he preaches the word of God with the Holy Spirit in his life and that helps you grow. So we don't have small groups. We don't have Sunday schools because we don't believe in separating children from their parents. The Bible teaches that. In the Bible, they had the children with the parents. They had the entire congregation together. But here's what you got to understand. It makes a problem for Verity Baptist Church, and here's why. Because what most bigger churches, churches that are bigger than ours do, is instead of trying to get, you know, 150 people to get along, they just break the church up into 20 people. A group of 20 people here, a group of 20 people there, a group of 20 people over here. Because it's easy to get 20 people to get along. It's easy to get 20 people to be united. 
It's easy to get 20 people to stand together, to strive together. It's harder to get 130 or 150 or 200 people to stand together and love each other and pray for each other. But here's what you got to understand. We don't have small groups. We're not going there. We don't have Sunday school. We're not going there. If our church is going to continue to grow and continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you and I have to learn to get along because it's the only way it's going to work. The only way we're, we're either going to split up or we're going to learn to get along. We're either going to get into different groups and get into different camps and get into different cliques. So this idea of unity, and here's what you've got to understand about unity. It doesn't happen by accident. Unity requires effort. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity. The word endeavor means to put forth effort to achieve something, to work hard at something. See, Paul was telling the church at Ephesus, if you're going to maintain unity, you're going to have to endeavor at it. You're going to have to put effort into that thing. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to learn how to stand together so that you can continue to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Now, why is there no unity? Or what's the problem? Why, why do churches end up having a lack of unity? Look at verse number 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. This is all by way of introduction, just giving you a few things to think about. Whenever we don't have unity, or whenever we have division, because that's the, the, the opposite of unity is division. Whenever there's division within a church, or division within the body of Christ, or division between brethren, it's because of immature Christians, or it's because of Christians that are not growing, that are walking in the flesh. Notice what Paul said in verse number 11. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice what he says, for the perfecting of the saints. Now, the word perfect or perfecting in your King James Bible means to make complete, to make whole, to bring to maturity. Jesus would often heal someone and he would say that he made them whole or he made them complete or he made them perfect. He wasn't saying that he made them, you know, without mistakes. He was just saying that they were completely perfect. And the Bible says that God gave you a pastor and he gave you teachers and he gave you a church for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. That's why my job is to try to help you grow and become a complete mature Christian. And my other job is to put you to work. It's to get you to work in the ministry. For why? For the edifying. That means the building up of the body of Christ. Notice verse 13. Till we all come in the unity. Do you see that word? Of the faith. How do we come to the unity of the faith? When the saints become perfect. When the saints become mature. When the saints begin to grow, he says, so we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a, notice, perfect man, a complete man, a mature man. And notice the terminology is about, he's using these words about growth. Notice, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about till you grow up. You know, some of you had children and maybe as they were growing up, you would mark on a wall somewhere, you know, and at this year they were this tall and at this year they were this tall and at this year and you kind of measured the stature of of their growth, you know, my parents never did that for me because the line would have just stayed right there, you know, after about 11 years old, it just kind of stopped, there was no more uh, to, to measure, but the Bible says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, notice verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, you see the ideas about maturity, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait, look, look at verse number 22, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 22. 
He says that you put off concerning the former conversation. That's what we were talking about this morning. Putting off the former lust, putting off the, the way of the world. He says that you put off uh, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is a, a corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Talking about becoming mature, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, the idea is that mature Christians endeavor to keep unity. Immature Christians will cause division. So you say, well, what, well, what, do, you, what do we do? We, we all begin to grow. We all begin to mature. Now, go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse number 2. Because in chapter 4 and verse 2, he actually tells us what does it take to mature? What does it take to become a mature Christian that can keep unity? And this isn't just for church. You can apply this at work. You, children, you can apply this with your siblings. You can apply this at school. You can apply this with your family. You can apply this in your marriage. I mean, this will apply anywhere, but the idea is of work. Now, he gives us four words uh, here in, in verse uh, 2 that basically explain, here's how you mature and grow to keep unity. Let's look at them together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 2. Here's verse, word number 1. Notice what he says. With all lowliness. You see that word lowliness? Now I want you to notice that the word lowliness begins with this word low. Lowliness means to be humble. That means to be brought low. Did you keep your place in Philippians? I don't know if you did, but go back to Philippians. It's the next book, so it should be easy to find. Look at verse number two. I'm sorry, chapter number two and verse number three. Philippians chapter two and verse number three. If you and I are going to endeavor to keep unity, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our workplace, wherever it is, we're going to have to learn to live this word lowliness. Now, what does that mean? Are you there in Philippians chapter 2? Look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Let nothing be done through strife. Strife's talking about fighting or vainglory, okay? That's disunity. That's division. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Notice what he says. But in lowliness, and I want you to notice these words, of mind. You see that? When someone is of lowly mind, then here's what they will do. Let each esteem other better than themselves. The word esteem means to think of. See, here's what you got to understand. He says, when you are, have a lowliness of mind, what does it mean to be lowly? It means to not think too highly of yourself. It means to think of yourself lower. Not that you're worse, but you're saying, I don't think too much of myself. I don't think too highly of myself. I have, in my mind, I have lowliness of mind. And he says, when you do that, you'll learn to esteem, to think of other better than yourself. Because you don't think too highly of yourself. See, if you and I are going to keep unity, and like I said, whether it's children with their siblings, who has kids that fight all the time? Am I the only one? I mean, kids are constantly fighting. You know, siblings are constantly fighting. But here's why they fight. You know, they fight over a toy, and, but here's why they do it. Because one thinks they deserve it more than the other one. And the other one thinks they deserve it more than the first one. And it doesn't matter who got it for Christmas or who got it for their birthday or who had it first or who was thinking. They, in their own minds, think, I am better than you and I deserve that toy. And if they've got to get down to a fist fight to get it, they'll do it because they say, I, because here's the problem. They think more highly of themselves than they should. 
Now, you and I do think, well, that's just silly with children. But that's exactly how it works in marriages. That's exactly how it works at your job. That's exactly how it works in church. Look, whenever anybody's arguing or fighting, whenever anybody's look, looking at someone and saying, oh, they're gossiping about me, or they're talking about me, or they're, you know, everyone's against me. Listen to me. You think too highly of yourself. If you think that everybody just has an agenda against you, you're not that important. I don't know who you think you are. You know, you're not the president of the United States, okay? But here's the problem. Whenever we argue, whenever we fight, whenever we have disagreement, whenever there's strife or vain glory, it's because of this. Because we don't have a lowly look of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. And we don't esteem other better than ourselves. We esteem ourselves better than others. And you will never have unity with people that think too highly of themselves. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 2. So the first thing that the Apostle Paul teaches us is if you're going to have unity, you're going to have to learn to be lowly. If you're going to have unity, you're going to have to learn. And that doesn't mean that you're less than anyone. It just means that you say, you know what? I will take the low. I will submit to you. I will take the lower, you know, I I will lower myself and I will think better of you than I am. And the Bible says to have lowliness of mind. The next word there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, the first word was lowliness. Here's word number two, and meekness. Meekness. Now, today, meekness is not a word that's used a lot. And we don't use the word meekness in our modern vocabulary. But let me show you what the, how the Bible defines this word meekness. You're there in the book of Ephesians. Go backwards in your Bible into the book of 2 Corinthians. You're going to go past Ephesians, past Galatians, into the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10. Look at verse number 1. Now, when you get to 2 Corinthians, do me a favor. Uh, and and because we're gonna leave for, we're gonna leave second and first Corinthians and come back to it. So if you could put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something in first and second Corinthians, because we're gonna leave it and we're gonna come back to it. That way you can find it quickly. Second Corinthians chapter number ten. If you look at verse number one, notice what the Bible says. Now I Paul myself beseech you. Notice what he says. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, often in the Bible, God will put two words next to each other that kind of mean the same thing to help define words for us. And I want you to understand this. The word meekness means to be gentle with someone. It means to be gentle. And he says, he says Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence am uh, base among you, but being absent and bold Toward you. Let me give you another example. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. So you're there in 2 Corinthians. Just go even a little more backwards into 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse number 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 21. Like I told you, the, these sermons are going to be more like a word study. We're going to look at a lot of different passages and study out words in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. Now notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, what will ye? And this is what that, what that means. He says, what do you want? What do you desire? He's going to give him two options. He says, which one do you want? He says, what will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Okay? He's saying, do you want me to come with a paddle? This is like your, parent, like your mom saying to you, do you want me to come with a belt? You know, do you want me to come with a paddle? He said, what will you? Well, shall I come unto you with a rod? Or, or here's your other option, or in love and in the spirit of meekness. Now, you notice, if someone comes at you with a rod, they're being rough. They're being hard. They're, they're going to correct things. They're going to, he says, he, Paul says, what do you want me to do? You want me to come rough and hard with a paddle, with a rod, or do you want me to come in love and in the spirit of meekness? And the idea is that if I come in meekness, I'll be gentle. 
If I come with a rod, I'm going to be rough. I'm going to be uh, hard on you. Meekness is what's required for unity. And let me ask you this, you know, and, and again, don't, you answer these questions for yourself. Don't answer them out loud. But whenever you are disagreeing with someone, whenever you are arguing with someone or, or you have a disagreement or a conversation, are you the person that always has to just tell, I'm going to just show you I'm right and you're wrong. I'm not going to let you save face. I'm going to get you to admit that you're wrong. And just, you know, how do you interact with people? How do you approach people? Are you always rough? Are you always mean? Are you always just, I'm going to show you you're wrong. Here's the thing, even if they are wrong, can you esteem them better than yourself? Can you come to them in a spirit of meekness, saying, I, I want to be gentle with you. I don't want to be angry with you. I don't want to be mean to you. I want to come to you in a spirit. And, and honestly, think about the last argument you had, whether it was with your spouse or with your boss or with your sibling or whoever it was. You know, are you the person who always just has to come out really hard and really mean and really upset? Or do you come with the spirit of meekness and say, I could, I could come with a rod, but I'll come in the spirit of love and a meekness and a gentle spirit. How do you speak to people? Honestly, think about that. I see people, you know, butting heads and butting heads and butting heads. And, you know, oftentimes people will ask me questions and I'll disagree with what they say. But listen, if somebody's trying to convince me about a doctrine I don't believe, you know, they're pre-trib or they're whatever and I'm not and I'm explaining, I don't have to argue with them. I just say, look, here's what I believe. Whatever you believe, that's fine. It doesn't really make a difference to me. You know, if you all know what I believe, here's what I believe. Let me show you what the Bible says. But I don't have to get mad and angry and just say, no, you're wrong. Let me show you. We can come, because here's the thing. Those who are endeavoring to keep a spirit of unity will come in a spirit of meekness. You don't have to turn there, but Colossians 4, 6 says this. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. If you're, if you're there, you're there in 1 Corinthians, go, go back to Ephesians chapter number 4 and look at verse uh, number, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 29. Ephesians chapter 4, notice what the Apostle Paul said. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, notice, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word grace means unmerited favor. It means you're getting something you don't deserve. Now, we like that word when it talks about salvation. I got grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. And you say, I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve forgiveness. I deserve to die and go to hell. But listen, the Bible then says that your words are to minister grace to the people that you're talking to. Do you ever just say, I could come out hard, and I could come out rough, and I could come with a rod, but instead I will come in a spirit of meekness, and instead I will allow my speech to be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man? I mean, look at that verse, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, everything that comes out of your mouth ought to have this goal. To the edify, it says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Do your words build people? Do your words help people grow? 
Do your words minister grace? And I try, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it because I'm far from. But even in, in the capacity of preaching, sometimes you have to preach difficult things. And sometimes you have to teach things that people don't know. And a lot of people come to Verity Baptist Church and they say, I've never even heard that before. I didn't even know the Bible said that. You know, and it would be easy for me to just get up with a bad attitude and say, you, you stinking this and you that and you don't know. But look, my job is to just use my words to try to build you up. To try to minister grace. Now, some people just get offended with the word of God. Some people just don't like what God says. And if that's the case, hey, that's fine. But I'd rather you get offended with what God said than get offended with what I said or how I said it. So in your life, do you come to this idea of unity and say, I will endeavor to keep unity by thinking lowly of myself? I will endeavor to keep unity by not thinking too highly of myself. I will endeavor to keep unity by coming in meekness. Now, please understand this. And go to the book of Matthew because I want you to see these words. You know, don't mistake. The word meekness is not the, the same as the word weakness. Meek is not weak. Someone said this. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is having the ability to completely embarrass someone because they have no clue what they're talking about when it comes to the Bible. Meekness is having the ability to completely just beat someone over with the Word of God because they just are teaching false doctrine. But you come to them in a spirit of, yes, strength and boldness, but under control, not in the flesh, not upset, not angry. And some of you, you know, you need to work at this with your children. Some of you need to just institute a rule where maybe when your children do something wrong, before you spank them, maybe send them to their room and take five minutes to cool down and make sure that you're not just disciplining your children out of an angry spirit, but that you're honestly doing it to edify them and to build them up and to help them mature and grow. Are you there in Matthew chapter number 11? Look at verse number 29. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Matthew chapter 11 In verse 29, I don't know if I told you to turn there. Matthew chapter number 11, and look at verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Notice what Jesus said. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus described himself as meek and lowly. Why was he meek? He had all power, but he kept it under control. He had all, he, he, he was God in the flesh. He, he could have said, hey, don't talk to me that way. Hey, I am God. I am the creator. But yet he esteemed others better than himself. And he endeavored to keep a spirit of unity because he understood these words, meek, lowly. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like you to notice the third word, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 2. Notice what he says. With all lowliness and meekness, And notice the third word, with long-suffering. Long-suffering. Now, the word long-suffering in the Bible is often used interchangeably with the word patience. But it's not exactly the word patience, and patience is actually a word we will deal with in this series on words that will change your life. But long-suffering has a different idea. I love the words like long-suffering or like everlasting. Now, you don't really need to look up a dictionary because the word kind of defines itself. What does the word long-suffering mean? It means to suffer for a long time. So how do I endeavor you? How do I keep unity in my marriage? Suffer for a long time. How do I keep unity with my mother? She just suffer for a long time. How do I keep unity with my siblings? Suffer for a long time. Long-suffering. Now, go to the book of 1 Corinthians. You're there in Ephesians? I told you to keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 
The Apostle Paul uh, is dealing with an issue, and I want you to notice what, what, what he says. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, 6, you got two church members that are actually suing each other. They're going to court and suing each other because they're having a disagreement about something, and they actually involve the law. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we could study this out, but I just want to notice a couple of verses. Verse number 6, the Bible says this, but he's, he's telling them, this is what's wrong with your church. He says, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. He says, you're taking your brother to court. He said, you're taking another believer to, to court before the unbelievers. Notice verse 7. Now, look. This is where, you know, here's what I found. Preaching sermons like separation, those are easy because people get that. People know that they're not supposed to be a drunkard. You know, people know they're not supposed to be a drug addict. People get that. These sermons that deal with the matters of the heart, these are the hardest sermons to kind of get people to really get excited about. You know why? Because here's where the rubber really hits the road. Because, look, it's easy to put on a nice, nice clothing and say, I'm a Christian. It's easy to grab a Bible and say, I'm a Christian. But when you have to deal with these issues of the heart, this is where what you believe really comes into play. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. He said, you're taking your brother to court. He said, you're suing your brother before the unbelievers. Notice verse 7. He says, now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. And then he says this. He says, you take your brother to court. You're, You're suing him using the law. He says, why do ye not rather take wrong? You ought to underline that in your Bible. Because that's never the option. He says, why don't you just rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Here's what he's saying. He's echoing the words of Jesus. He says, why don't you just let them take your coat and, you know, your, and give them your coat also? Why don't you just turn the other cheek? He said, why is it never the option to say, you're you're wrong. You're doing me wrong. But you know what? I'll suffer wrong. I'll suffer long. Uh, People people say, well, you don't understand. Every time I get around this person, they just upset me so much. They just offend me so much. They just bother me so much. Then suffer long. Then learn to say, you know what? I will take wrong. He said, why, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He said, why don't you just let somebody take advantage of you? Well, you understand, I, I, I hired this guy from the church, and he did this job, and he said he was going to do this, and then he didn't do that. Well, why don't you just let yourself be defrauded? Why don't you just learn to suffer long? Why don't you just, uh, you just turn the other cheek? Why don't you just say, and here's why, because only a mature Christian will do that. An immature Christian says, I've got rights. I will not allow myself to be treated this way. But that's why you don't have unity. And that's why you'll never have unity. Whether it's at your workplace or in your home or at church. Because the way to have unity is to learn to suffer long. To be long-suffering. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Let's notice word number 4. Word number four says, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. Notice verse, word number four, forbearing, forbearing one another in love. The word forbearing, the most, easily, the most easy way to kind of describe it is, is just means this, to put up with. To just put up with it. Just put up with it. Now, go, go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. I don't know where you're at. If you're in Ephesians, go, you go past Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. 
I want you to notice Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I want you to notice we're going to read verse 12 and 13. And you're going to see a lot of the same things being taught in Colossians 3 as is taught in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse number 12. Colossians 3, 12. Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness. Notice these words. Humbleness of mind. Doesn't that sound like lowliness of mind? Meekness, long-suffering. Notice verse 13. Forbearing one another. Literally means to put up with or to hold someone up. He says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And here's the problem. If any man have a quarrel against any, talking about fighting, talking about divisions, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Here's what he's saying. God puts up with you every day. Why don't you learn to put up with your brother? God puts up with you every day. Why don't you learn to put up with your wife or your husband? God, hey, kid, God puts up with you every day. Why don't you learn to put up with your little sister or your little brother or your little cousin? He's saying we need to learn to treat each other, not the way necessarily, and, and we ought to treat people the way I want to be treated, but sometimes that doesn't work. But if you treat people the way Christ treats you, that will always work. Because we like it that God is long-suffering with us. We like it that Jesus is forbearing with us. If you are fighting or arguing with someone, it's because you decided, I will not put up with this. I deserve better. What's the problem? No lowliness of mind. What's the problem? No meekness. What's the problem? No long-suffering. What's the problem? No forbearing. When you deal with issues in your relationships, how do you deal it? Deal with it. Are you, are, sir, are you the guy that you, you always have to yell and be mad and you're not going to let your wife go anywhere because I'm the man and I'm the boss? You can do that. You won't have a marriage for very long. You, you say, I'm going to treat my employee. I'm the boss here and you're going to do what I say. Hey, you can do that. You're not going to have a business very long. You, we, can, we can come to church and say, well, that person doesn't know what they're talking about, and I watch this video, and I watch this YouTube channel, and I read this in the Bible. They're wrong. Hey, that's fine. We get that, and we want to stand on truth, and we want to stand on right. But why don't we worry about the way we treat people? Because it's not about what we believe. It's about how we treat each other. Are we going to endeavor to keep unity? Look at verse number 2 of Ephesians chapter 4. We'll finish up. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 2. I want you to understand that he, he says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. And then he says these words. He says, in love. And here's what he's saying. Lowliness, in love. Meekness, in love. Long-suffering, in love. Forbearing, in love. Say, why would I think less of myself? Why would I put myself lower? Why would I not be high-minded? Why? You do it for one word, love, unity, to strive together with the faith of the gospel. Go, go, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at a passage in Romans, a passage in Psalms, and, and then we'll be finished up. Romans, you guys like these series because I'm going to be preaching short sermons. Roman, I think I preached pretty short this, this morning. I'm not talking about my height. I'm talking about the time. Okay, <laughs> Romans 16, look at verse number 17, Romans 16. There is a time to not have unity. There is a time to, to be divisive. And the Bible tells us what time that is. No, Romans 16, look at verse 17. Notice what he says. Now I beseech you, brethren, 
Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. If someone comes into Verity Baptist Church, and listen to me very carefully. If someone comes into Verity Baptist Church and they don't exactly agree with every little thing we believe, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If people come in here and they say, I don't believe eternal security, hey, we'll do our best to try to show them what the Bible says, but if they want to keep coming, that's great. Let them come. They're not going to hurt anything. We believe in eternal security. We believe in salvation by grace and faith. We believe in the King James Bible. We believe in the old hymns. We believe the things that the Bible says. Somebody doesn't agree with us 100%. Hey, just love them. Just, just uh, you know, bring them in. Just encourage them. Just be kind to them. That's fine. But here's where someone crosses the line. When they come in here and they try to cause division. See, it's fine if you don't believe eternal security, but don't push your agenda. You understand what I'm saying? When someone begins to push their agenda, when the emails go out, when the phone calls go out, when the conversations go out and say, well, you know, I just don't think Pastor Jimenez really knows what he's talking about. You know, I just think this passage could be. Hey, when someone begins to cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, the Bible says to mark them and avoid them. Why? Verse 18, for they are such as serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. No one who serves Jesus would want to come in and try to cause problems in a church. But they serve their own bellies. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the... You see that word simple? The word simple means dumb. And, it's, and I'm sorry if you think that's rude, but it's talking about like a child. He's talking about someone who's immature. See, someone will come in to cause divisions, and here's what they'll do. Immature Christians will unite with immature Christians. Because a mature Christian knows, hey, that's not right. That's not... That's not good. I, it's okay if you don't agree, but we, we, don't have to, we don't have to gossip. We don't have to be critical. We don't have to be judgmental. We don't have to create our little group, and I've got my group. I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos. That doesn't have to happen. And it doesn't happen when Christians endeavor to keep unity. But there is a time, because he says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. There's, when someone comes in here and tries to spread false doctrine, there's a time to mark them. And here's what mark them means. It means you, you publicly say, hey, this person's a bad person, and the reason you mark them is to help, is to have people avoid. And we've had people at Verity Baptist Church who came in here and didn't agree with something that I preached or whatever, and they got everybody's little emails, and they were sending out their little, I, I just didn't agree with Pastor Jimenez preaching. That has happened here. And how did we deal with it when we found out? We, I stood up on a Sunday night and said, hey, listen, this person is not a good person. They're not allowed to come here. They're spreading, you know, false doctrine. They're spreading division. And people say, like, well, is it right to do that? The Bible says to mark them and avoid them. The Bible says to mark. So there is a time for division when someone is causing problems, when someone is causing trouble. If someone just says, well, I don't know that I agree with that, hey, that's fine. Look, I don't agree with myself 100% of the time. I don't expect you to agree with everything I say. But if they're causing issues, they're causing offenses, that's when you deal with it. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 133. Psalm 133. If you open your Bible, you land right in the center of the Bibles is the book of Psalms, Psalm 133. In Psalm 133, you find a very small psalm, only three verses. We're going to read it right now. It's a very beautiful psalm. Psalm 133, verse number one. Notice what it says. Psalm 133, verse one. A song of degrees of David... Here's what he says, behold, notice these beautiful words, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
And then he says this, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. David says, he, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And then, and then he says, he, he gives us a, an analogy. He says, it, it's like, and he begins to talk about Aaron. Remember Aaron, Moses' uh, brother, when he was, he was selected to be the first high priest? And he said, it's like Aaron when he was anointed with oil. And he said he was anointed and it overflowed. It dripped down his beard and it went down his clothing even to the bottom of, of his clothing. I, I, I've read this chapter so many times and I, and I thought to myself, David, what are you talking about? You know, what does the precious ointment, you know, running upon Aaron's beard, going down to the skirts of his garment, what does that have to do with unity? And then one day it came to me. I was, really, I was reading it and I realized, because, and I don't have time to, to you can study this out on your, on your own, but in the Bible, ointment is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Remember when David was anointed king over Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon him at the same time because the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's saying. See, you and I, we would think, you know, well, as long as the head is anointed, then you're good to go, right? And we think, well, Jesus is the head of the church, you know, so he obviously has the Holy Spirit. That's great. Or maybe you think like, well, as long as the leadership, as long as the pastor, as long as the pastor's wife, as long as the men that have kind of stepped up in leadership, as long as they've got the Holy Spirit on their life, then we'll be fine. But here's what David said. He says, you know what? If you can find a body, because the church is, is pictured as a body, and he says, if you can find a body that doesn't just have oil on its head, if you can find a body of believers, a church of believers that has the Holy Spirit dripping down over the entire body, every Christian is filled with the Spirit. Every Christian is walking in the Spirit. Every Christian has the power of of God on their lives. He said, if you can find a body of believers that has the Holy Spirit just pouring over them, he says, man, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. Because if you walk in the Spirit and I walk in the Spirit, guess what we'll have? Unity. If you're filled with the power of God and I'm filled with the power of God, guess what we'll have? Unity. If you walk in the flesh and I walk in the flesh, and you have pride and I have rough words, guess what we're not going to have? Unity. He says how beautiful, he says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. How are you going to get that, David? It's like the precious ointment, the precious Holy Spirit upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. So here's the question I want to ask you tonight. Are you endeavoring to keep unity? Are you endeavoring to keep unity within the church? Have you decided, you know, well, I'm just going to, you know, I've got my, my three little friends here, and I've got my friends, and it's us four and no more, and I'm not really worried about anybody else. I'm not going to reach out to the visitor. I'm not going to reach out. I know that person's over there, and they're kind of lonely sitting over there by himself. I'm not going to reach out to them because I've got my little friends here. Have you decided, I'm going to be mean to a certain individual? Or maybe you said, well, I'm not going to be mean to them, but I'm not going to really step out to try to be nice to them. Have you decided, you know, I, I just, I don't like that person. I think I'm better than that person. You may never say that, but do you think that in your head? Have you decided, I'm not going to suffer long. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to walk in the spirit. I'm not going to minimize myself. I'm not going to suffer to be defrauded. Or are you endeavoring, putting forth effort to say, hey, hey, hey. Let's keep unity. Let's be like, let's all be filled with the Spirit. Let's all walk in the Spirit. Because here's, here's what we understand. 
I can preach the best sermons that I can preach, and, and, and they don't get much better than this, all right? And we can have all the programs, and we can have all the plans, and we are organized at Verity Baptist Church. I mean, we've got a plan. We've got a system. We know how to get things done. We know how to put people to work. But listen to me. None of that will matter if you and I are fighting, arguing, criticizing, walking in the flesh. Because the next step from here will only happen if you and I learn to live in unity, and it will only happen if you and I learn to walk in the Spirit. Let's bow our heads and have a word.